Hi, everybody. We're doing something a little different for this episode of the Northwest Passage podcast from KLCC News. I'm News Director Rachel McDonald. This is the final episode of the year as we wrap up 2019. We wanted to share a few of our favorite kickers, the end segment, where we talk about stories, articles, or pop culture that stuck with us from the week. Let's start with an episode from last spring. Morning Edition host Ani Katz shares her food cravings, and reporter Mallory Begay talks about a popular children's cartoon that broke barriers. So it's an unusual thing to crave eggplant parmesan at 4.45 in the morning, but I'm going to fully admit to doing that this week because they had the editor of Sever Magazine, uh, Stacey Adamondo, who just wrote a cookbook book about her heritage and also has recipes from Italy, mostly centering, I think, on little plates. And so she and David Green had a very nice tasty sounding conversation for about 10 minutes on Morning Edition earlier this week, where she talked about regional specialties, mostly from where her family's from in Italy, which I think is Calabria, which is in the south. But then one of the dishes she mentioned uh, was a northern Italian dish, um, which has uh, some sort of a local fresh cheese and celery, which is actually one of the only foods I don't eat. But this made it sound good because it had a lot of local olive oil and fresh mountain herbs like sage and rosemary. And it just totally made my um, mouth water at like 5 a.m., which, you know, you should be craving like scrambled eggs or really nothing at that at that hour. But um, I urge you to to listen to it and maybe even um, check out some of those recipes online. That that celery recipe sounds fantastic. I know. And I don't even like celery. Puts ants on a log to shame. (laughs) Definitely. And I think eggplant parmesan is a perfect breakfast, actually. I I'm, I might ask you to make me some, actually. It, it, she said that people associate it in the States as like a you know huge meal you'd get at like a red sauce Italian joint. Um, but that traditionally, um, at least where what her family does is they put it out as um, a small plate mm-hmm. and they cut it up into tiny, tiny pieces. And so you get just these bites of eggplant parm, which again had, had me very hungry at, at about 5 a.m. <laughs> so I was a PBS kid, which means I watched a lot of PBS shows. And so this week on Arthur, um, Mr. Rapper, the teacher in the in the children's in the children's TV show, married his partner. And so that was really exciting just because I mean, it just one, it brought back memories of watching Arthur as a child. And two, it's just interesting to see how far society has changed and like how much more LGBTQ representation there is, even in I think it's pretty significant that it's even in like a children's show. So I was pretty excited about that. And I will say, even though I'm not with my kids in the morning, I loved hearing the Arthur theme song during Morning Edition. So that was really a treat to have them talk about that. And congratulations, Mr. Ratburn. Way to go, Mr. Ratburn. Sticking with the cartoon theme, in this podcast from May, reporter Brian Bull talks about cartoon crushes, and Chris Lehman tells us how a fire drill that evacuated the Capitol turned into a musical interlude. Uh, the big trend on Twitter, for those who follow Twitter, was the topic of cartoon crushes. These are animated characters that you may have watched on Saturday mornings that you may have felt a little pitter-pat in your heart for when you saw them on screen. Uh, Trending right now are Jessica Rabbit, who was not in a Saturday morning cartoon. She was in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Uh, April O'Neil from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Aladdin from the Disney movie. So speaking for myself, I'd be curious to know who else uh, has this... uh, who else harbors this? Uh, probably my earliest crush was Daphne, 
Daphne Lane from Scooby-Doo in my earlier years, and later on, Jane Lane from MTV's Daria animated series. Oh, oh well referenced. Like wow. those, like those punker chicks. <laughs> um, I. Uh, I don't think anything from Who Framed Roger Rabbit would uh, would do that for me because it was really one of the first scary movies that I ever saw. I mean, still to this day, I don't know if I can watch the end of that. Um, <laughs> but it's and it's not exactly a prince character, although from Cinderella, the prince. Uh, but I'm actually talking about the fairy tale theater version of that because it was Matthew Broderick, and for me back in the day, that did make my heart go pitter patter. Oh, okay. <laughs> Rachel, Chris, any cartoon crushes on your end? <laughs> I can't think of any right now. I, I can't think of any either, although I will have to say that Who Framed Roger Rabbit is definitely uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh my gosh. Chris, <laughs> you and I cannot have a movie night together. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, you know, there's an animated version of Star Trek, so I'll probably um, Spock on the animated <laughs> version of Star Trek. <laughs> but that would not be like a childhood crush. So. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe Brian's heart would go pitter patter for um, Captain Kirk or yeah, something probably. in the cartoon. Very possible. <laughs> no, no one comes between me and Daphne. <laughs> hey, Daphne, you're okay now. Will you tell me what I'm doing in this silly costume and all wet? You were in a trance. We had to wake you up. Where's Freddy? Freddy? We were in the costume tent. Then all went blank. <laughs> Chris, anything sticking with you from this week's news? Well, this wasn't a, a news story as such, but a, a few days ago here at the Capitol, the fire alarm went off in the middle of the day, disrupting a bunch of hearings. And of course, everybody, myself included, trudged outside. Fortunately, it was not raining at the time. Uh, as it so happened, the Salvation Army uh, brass band was in the, the building as well. They had played the opening ceremony in the house that morning. They had a display in, inside. So they brought their instruments out onto the front steps of the Capitol while everybody was milling around waiting to see if there was an actual fire and they set up and they started playing. It, it felt very much like the uh, we were on the deck of the Titanic. Uh, fortunately, there was no fire and everybody could go back inside, but it, it was sort of a, a fun little event in what was otherwise an inconvenient moment at the Capitol. <laughs> <laughs> Always <That's> exciting. <laughs> Never a dull moment. Yeah. The state house hit an iceberg. <laughs> In this episode, KLCC's Brian Bull marvels at a pilot program where pizza is delivered by self-driving cars. We also hear about a Harry Potter tribute band from Ani Katz. Well, let's just admit it. Movies like Blade Runner and Back to the Future lie to us. We don't have flying cars. We don't have android people yet. We don't have any gas-pumping robots as of yet. But... Here's something. Uh, pizza giant Domino's is beginning to use self-driving cars for its delivery service. Uh, they're pairing up with a company called Neuro, which has a vehicle called the R2, of all things. And it's being phased in currently on a pilot basis for customers in Houston, Texas. So what people can do is when they call in their order through an app or through, I suppose, traditional phone, they can track the progress of their order on a Domino's app. And then when the vehicle arrives, they punch in a personal identification number or code that opens up a compartment and they can retrieve their pizza. Uh, Domino says it's doing this because human labor is getting too expensive. Uh, I was personally hoping myself that the car would have something like a, a cannon or something that would shoot the pizza. 
<laughs> at your doorstep, but uh, I guess they're trying to be a little more uh, careful than that. Uh, in this article, though, by Business Insider, they are also reducing their vehicle use for bicycles. So, you know, until they invent the self-pedaling bike, I guess, human delivery people can still uh, partake of the experience and stand a chance of getting confronted at the doorstep with, where's my crazy bread? I ordered crazy bread. <laughs> Go figure. I was hoping for drones too, but uh, <laughs> That'd be awesome. too many pizzas on the roof, I suppose. I don't drop it down your chimney or something. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Chris, what's what's on your mind this week? Well, earlier we were talking about animals, uh, cougars and deer. Uh, I heard something this week about a smaller animal, the uh, friendly uh, neighborhood scorpion. Specifically, the fire department in Kaiser this week reported that a woman had dropped off a box of four live scorpions that she had found near a playground at a local park in Kaiser. And these scorpions, uh, the fire department kind of took an, uh, an affection to them and gave them names. Uh, their names are Timmy, Lynn, Ted, and Jeremiah. I'm not sure uh, who gets the honor of having a scorpion named after them. But these apparently, uh, I, and I did I did not know this, but there are scorpions. We kind of think of them as a, a desert kind of creature maybe, but these are Pacific Northwest forest scorpions. They are native to the area and, uh, in fact, are found throughout the Willamette Valley, but they are nocturnal, and therefore we don't see them very often. They live under rocks or logs and prefer moister uh, situations. So, so you know, they're 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 nice scorpions. They're they they also apparently, according to the research by the firefighters, uh, they can sting and they do sting their prey when hunting. But they would rather play dead than uh, trying to sting people when they are disturbed. So, um, you know, unless you directly step on one or, or something like that, they're probably just going, you know, they are more afraid of you than you are of them. I know that's hard to believe when it comes to scorpions. So thank you to the woman who rescued the four scorpions from the playground. And thank you to the brave firefighters who figured out that these things aren't too much of a threat. But, you know... They're, they're going to hang around the fire department and be an educational outreach item for the time being. Do we know how big these scorpions are? Well, they uh, the Kaiser Fire District posted photos of them on their Facebook page, so it, 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 there's not a lot of context. You know, they're not like sitting next to a dollar bill or something. So, I you know, I think they're small creatures, but uh, nevertheless, they are scorpions. I will never hike in the Willamette Valley again. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> just don't just don't set up your tent, you know, in scorpion well, territory. When I lived in the <laughs> desert in the Middle East many, many years ago, we got really good at you had to check your shoes before you put them on if you left them outside or actually even inside. So now I guess when I go camping in the Northwest, I will now be checking my shoes again. <laughs> Wish I had known that 10 years that ago. That was a good policy. <laughs> I think it's really necessary now. Wasn't it about a year ago we did a story about about high jumping worms kind of appearing in little random clusters across oh. Oregon. Oh, really? The That's video's familiar. crazy, oh, but God. now we've got that. Now we've got scorpions on top of that. <laughs> I'm not sleeping anymore. <laughs> I was listening to a Morning Edition this week, and we had a story from Tom Bonsey on trail restoration on the Pacific Coast Trail and the East West 
Pacific Northwest Trail, which I didn't even know about that particular trail. And they're trying to make the hikes safer, um, especially where they sometimes require people to walk along busy highways like 101 on the Oregon coast. Mike Scott, who's now the mayor of Manzanita, used to regularly hike a section north of his town. You come off the, the south end of Neocani Mountain and you find yourself for a couple of miles on 101 coming down the hill to Manzanita, and it is it is not much fun. I mean, the big trucks going by and so forth, it's not very safe. So I just thought that was a neat story that, um, especially for the summer as people are getting outside, and also people do these long hikes like the Pacific Crest Trail that we know a lot about, um, and to make them safer for hikers seems like a good idea. Also, um, our reporter Amy Brenneman reported on the new webcams at the Oregon Coast Aquarium, which have become my favorite time waster <laughs> at work. We have accomplished nothing this yeah, week. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> you can check on the avian exhibit, the shark tanks, and um, Ani and my favorites, uh, the otters, which are super, super cute and fun to watch. They were wrestling so much at like 8 a.m. yesterday morning. So if I sounded distracted during my newscast, it's because there were otters res- uh, wrestling in the background. So you're, watch- you're watching the otters while you're on I the air. I may have it on the screen sometimes. If it's that or the weather temperatures. So, you know, it's I got I to gotta alternate. You what know? a toss-up. Give toss us up. updates. I can give you updates. They're now eating. They're now – there's one that seemed to be irritated with the other two. Um, they all have names, of course, but it's hard to tell from further away. But it is if you're if you're looking for something to do during the day, I'm telling you, this otter cam it's like totally worth it. <laughs> that, that fire station needs the uh, scorpion cam now. No, no, they don't actually. <laughs> um, so speaking of otters, does anybody know what um, Hermione Granger's Patronus is in Harry Potter? Uh, it's an otter. It's an I otter. Wow. <laughs> I got to speak to a band that started a new genre of music, which I didn't even know existed until actually a few days ago. Wizard rock is a subgenre, um, heavily influenced kind of by indie, punk rock. Um, it was created by two brothers from Massachusetts, Paul and Joe DeGeorge, and they are the group Harry and the Potters. And essentially, Wizard Rock is um, all about the Harry Potter books. And there's many, many groups that now perform this kind of music. They have a huge following because obviously the Harry Potter fan base is very large. And I would put myself very firmly in that (laughs) fan base. So they're performing in Eugene on Sunday. And I got to speak with the brothers while they were on tour. They're uh, currently like kind of in Washington and BC. And we talked a little bit about their music and um, totally got to, you know, geek out about the Harry Potter books. I think it'll be a great show, all ages. It's not just for kids. Um, so that was kind of a, a fun interview that I got to do and, and get myself excited to keep reading the books with my with my kids. You're listening to our year-end special version of the Northwest Passage podcast from KLCC News. We'll be right back. Support for KLCC's Northwest Passage is provided by Columbia Bank. Columbia Bank team members have experience in the unique challenges of multiple industries, from healthcare to manufacturing. Learn more about their services for the business community at ColumbiaBank.com. Columbia Bank, where relationships rule, member FDIC. Listening back to some of our favorite moments from the Northwest Passage in this year-end special, I'm KLCC's Rachel McDonald. 
In an episode from August, reporter Mallory Begay reflects on the 1619 series in the New York Times, Ani Katz shares some science news, and our Snowden reporting fellow Amy Brenneman talks about subverting genres in pop music. My takeaway this week was the New York Times' 1619 project that was released in the Sunday edition of the paper, and it commemorates the 400-year anniversary of the arrival of the first slave ship. And it's a project that reshapes the dominant American narrative that suggests that the United States of America was founded on July 4th, 1776. So when really American America's history started with and was therefore founded on slavery and the race racialization in 1619 when the first slave ship arrived. So, so there are two parts. There's a section of the newspaper that goes over the history and a magazine uh, that uses this history as a basis for understanding contemporary issues that still affect people today because of slavery. And I think it's a big moment in journalism, uh, so much so that I actually went out and bought a physical copy of it on Sunday. I think I bought the last copy at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so I've just been going through that this week, and it's, it's really enlightening. Um, I learned about 1619, not in history, but I did learn about it. The only way that I learned about it was because I took an African-American literature class. Mm -hmm. Other than that, I wouldn't have known. But even still, it, it's, it's a really great read. Um, I think, yeah, like I said, I think it's a big moment in, in journalism. They also have a podcast, uh, I think. Mm -hmm. They and do. It's, it's yeah. turning into a curriculum. Um, they're turning it into a curriculum that's going to be released in schools or schools can use it. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I was able to read a little bit of, of that series and it's really interesting. I mean, it goes into the economics of slavery, which is fascinating. I mean, basically, the United States was, the reason that United States is an economic power is because of slavery. I think I heard something. This was kind of listening out of the corner of my ear, you know, uh, reporters who worked on the, the New York Times uh, story or project was something that, you know, trillions of dollars is how much they were able to, you know, I'm using air quotes, save by using slave labor instead of actually paying people, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, onto sperm. <laughs> so Ani's got... Ani's got a scientific story for us. I've got some science us. for you, yes. Um, so Rob Stein at this point is essentially NPR's like CRISPR correspondent. I mean, he's a science correspondent. But basically, we hear him talk about designer babies, CRISPR. Those are a lot of things that Rob Stein covers. I first learned about CRISPR a couple years ago when Radiolab did, I think it was actually a two-part show about CRISPR, which is um, a way that scientists can make very precise changes to DNA, um, like little taking tiny, you know, t making tiny little manipulations to DNA. If you go find that Radiolab episode and you're interested in science, I highly recommend it. Um, the question is now that scientists are working on is can you do it on a sperm cell to fix genetic mutations? The issue in the past year or so was that a Chinese doctor was found to have edited embryos um, to make, I think they were twins, immune to HIV. And that was, of course, very controversial when they did that. Now, the idea is that they're thinking that editing sperm could be safer than editing embryos. So that's something that um, Rob Stein did a very interesting story about uh, this morning. And I would, I would definitely check it out. 
After 19 weeks of being number one on Billboard's Hot 100, Lil Nas X's Old Town Road has been replaced by Billie Eilish's Bad Guy. And both Lil Nas X and Billie Eilish have are breaking records left and right and kind of just changing the industry. So in case you don't know, Lil Nas X, he's a 20-year-old rapper and country singer um, who's, you know, changing the game for, because he's mixing together rap and hip-hop and country and combining them. He also is a black gay man who's a chart topper in both the rap genre and the country genre. And so his 19-week record of being number one broke previous records previously held by people such as Mariah Carey, Whitney Houston, and Louis Fonzi. And then Billie Eilish, and who's only 17, similarly subverts genre labels by mixing together and combining genres like EDM, pop, and industrial trap. And she's also breaking records left and right. She's the first person that's born in the 21st century to be a chart topper. And wow. yeah. <laughs> um, and then her debut album, um, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go?, broke records because 12 of its 13 songs were charted on the list, which is the most for any female musician ever. And then she also had the second highest first week album sales of 2009, right behind Ariana Grande. I think there's nothing like a 17-year-old getting like a top billboard, you know, like to make me feel like a total underachiever. But um, I have to say, I was a little sad that little Nas X got displaced because I spent all of my last weekend listening to one of my favorite three-year-olds in the world um, rap his version of Old Town Road. <laughs> and I don't know, it really is like, it's a it's a pretty good competition between the two. I got the horses in the back, horse stock is attached. Thanks so much for being with us for this year-end episode of KLCC's Northwest Passage, and thank you for listening to our podcast over the past year. We hope you'll be back for more of our conversations in 2020. I'm KLCC News Director Rachel McDonald. Happy New Year. Support for the Northwest Passage comes from Columbia Bank, member FDIC.